0: It's Saturday Breakfast with Julie Reynolds, right across Australia on your local station via the Community Radio Network. Please welcome to the program the one, the only, Paul Starman Kerno from the Adelaide Planetarium. Yay!
1: Hello, everyone. Morning.
0: <laughs> Morning. Now, Morning. what are we... What are we going to talk about this
1: morning? We're going to talk about rocks coming from space. Sounds Do like a good come... title for a science fiction movie, doesn't it? It is rocks, rocks from, from space. space. What sort of rocks are we talking about? So you know, when I was a little boy, we used to sit outside in the summer and look up at the night sky, and you'd see what we call falling stars or shooting stars. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and we now know, of course, they're not stars. Stars are suns, um, but we know that they're mainly pebble size or sand grain size bits of material falling into the earth's atmosphere Uh, some are very large some are as large as a car and sometimes they make their way all the way to the ground so when we see a falling star or a shooting star that is a meteor if it's a bit of rock just floating in space uh, a small bit of rock uh, that's what we call a meteoroid Mm. Um, when we see it it's a meteor but if it doesn't burn up completely in our atmosphere and makes it all the way to the ground and we can pick it up that's a meteorite you know like ones we've got in some of our museums around Australia so to speak.
0: Did we have one recently that hit somewhere?
1: They do it all the time there are thousands of these objects falling in from space all the time in fact we had one over South Australia I had a few reports a week or two ago from the southern suburbs that a large meteor was seen most don't make it to the ground the ones that do keep in mind. The surface of the Earth is 71% ocean. That means that many of these objects that fall in end up in the water. We don't even see them. Occasionally, as I said, we're we're very fortunate and we get bits come all the way to the ground uh, and we can pick them up and display them in our, our museum, so to speak. So, what's happening is when a rock comes in from space, it hits the Earth's atmosphere. And if I was to if, if everyone's sitting at home waves a hand around you can feel the air around you don't hit the person next to you <laughs> when one of these comes in they form a bow wave with the air so the air gets squashed in front of it and that heats the molecules of air up and they become very very hot <clears throat> they in turn melt the rock and that's what normally burns up most of these objects when they come in but then as I said some make it to the uh the ground and Australia's been a very good place historically to find meteorites because of the the large deserts we've we've got uh, and the other objects we find are tektites or australites which are not meteorites what's happened is in the past a large uh, meteorite or maybe a small asteroid has come in and struck the earth it's blasted earth material so high into space that's that stuff has rained back down onto the earth uh, and gone through the same process as a, a meteor coming through the sky and they come down and they're little black bits, but they're made of earth material. They're normally glassy material. And we have a number of strewn fields uh, throughout Australia, particularly in South Australia, Western Australia, and in the Southern parts. And there's also a small strewn field in uh, Western Victoria as well, where these objects have rained back down. Now, the interesting thing with the ones in Australia, we think many of them, not all, have come down from an impact that happened a long time ago Seven to 800,000 years ago in Laos wow. in Southeast Asia. So that stuff's been blown up into space and then rained back down onto the Earth as tectites or australites. But 700,000 years later? Uh, well, no, no, they, they've come down shortly after the impact Uh, and that's when they've rained down around that. Time.
0: Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say that was really high that they went that's a long.
1: That's a long orbit, yeah. But what we do have, is that can orbit in space for a very long time. Some of that stuff would obviously get blasted off into space and not return to the earth. And so the same applies to other worlds like Mars. And in South Australia here, we have a piece of the planet Mars. Now, how do we know it's Mars? Because an object's come in from space, millions of years ago, I forget the exact dates, struck Mars, blown that Martian material into space, and then eventually that's drifted off in space for goodness knows how long. Then it's fallen to earth as a meteorite. Now we know it's from Mars because trapped in the uh, gaseous bubbles within the meteorite, we can sample uh, the, the chemical composition of that gas. And that chemical composition of the gas exactly, exactly matches the chemical composition of the Martian atmosphere and we know the chemical composition of the Martian atmosphere because we've had Martian probes uh, landed that have been sampling oh. the, the atmosphere for a very long time indeed. So
0: we know Mars. Do we know any other planets? Or is um, that it for, for now? We
1: think, we think although the, the jury's still out, we think we have a few bits of um, the planet Mercury. We know we've got a few bits of the Moon. So stuff's been blown off the Moon in a, an impact and ended back down so we have lunar meteorites we have martian meteorites venus the atmosphere is too dense for stuff to be blown up and out into space Um, so we don't have bits of venus and of course jupiter saturn uranus and neptune are gaseous planets
0: even if it starts off the size of a car when it comes through earth's atmosphere it gets burnt up and what does it sort of usually end up as being and why
1: the really big objects in space we call asteroids uh, for example if, if it was something as big as your car i would call that a meteoroid when it's floating in space if it's something as big as your house i would say that's a small asteroid so when these objects come in from space they they burn up however the ones that make it to the ground uh an example of this is in 2013 over russia in uh, Chelyabinsk, uh a small bit of asteroid came in uh it air burst so most of it was destroyed in the atmosphere, so it broke into bits and some bits rained down uh, and they were they were able to be uh, collected later. Now we have three main types of meteorites. We have stony meteorites, so they're glassy type meteorites, silicate rock type meteorites. Then we have combinations, which is stony iron. And then we have meteorites that are 99% iron nickel uh, composition. So you can bang them with a hammer and it's like, just a, a lump of iron where i work at the adelaide planetarium we've got the largest stony iron meteorite ever found in australia uh, that's the Huckata meteorite which was recovered from the northern territory in 1937 by cecil madigan uh, and it's also a palisite which is a rare type of uh, meteorite that we think's come from the inner core of an asteroid that's impacted with another asteroid and it's been broken apart right. That stuff's floated around for a while and then it's come down to the Earth. And there are all kinds of classifications of meteorites, and one of them that is uh, very important to us are the chondrites because the chondrites represent the uh, the time when the sun was forming and the solar system was forming. And we actually have a meteorite that fell over um, Victoria in 1969 called the Murchison meteorite, and that's a chondrite. And so this represents the oil, the the early Soil and material, and they're called chondrites because of chondrules, these circular bits that come together and they clump together uh, and it's more brittle than um, a lot of the other meteorites. But why they're important is because they contain amino acids. Uh, amino acids are not life, but they are the building bo- blocks of life. So the big question has been could these building blocks of life um, have been had seeded the earth with the stuff we needed for life from um, asteroids or comets or wow. meteorites. Yeah.
0: Any of these, could they potentially contain organisms or bacteria or anything? Because it seems like when you were saying iron and nickel that the elements that are in these rocks aren't too dissimilar than what's
1: on Earth. Well, the Earth is made from this stuff. So we're, we're formed from the same solar nebula and the heavy elements are formed in supernova explosions so so what's happening is our star is a second or third generation i think it's a second generation star and so what's happened in the past in the universe you've had very large stars very massive stars uh, and they've exploded as a supernova now when that happens the heavy elements that we find on earth what earth is made of you know carbon phosphorus gold the gold in your ring comes from a supernova explosion originally. And so all of that stuff clumps together and accretes and eventually forms planets as well. So the only things that were created or formed, I should say, in the big bang, uh, hydrogen, helium, um, a tiny bit of lithium and a little bit of beryllium, but all of the other stuff on the periodic table um, has been uh, as a result of uh, supernova explosions or uh, neutron star collisions and, and so forth. You are made of star stuff. Your body Ooh. is completely composed. So you're a real star. I so am a star. You are a star. You're quite literally a star. So when you look at your face in the mirror, just remember that that is the result of billions of evolution, years of evolution from stars evolving and exploding, because all of the material in your body is, uh, with as, as I said, with the exception of hydrogen and helium in the universe, um, is formed within the furnaces of early stars. And so that stuff gets blown into space, then it gets recycled, and, and we find it in our star, the sun. And when our sun's formed, that's when the planets are formed, and they've formed from that heavy material as well. And so all of the heavy material like iron and so on uh sinks to the center of the earth. You know, we have an iron core. Uh, and the lighter stuff is near the lithosphere the surface of the earth and that's why meteorites are fascinating because we can examine uh, a meteorite like the one we have at the planetarium which is uh, a stony iron meteorite so it's mostly iron um in a so it's mostly a nickel iron matrix with small bits of olivine uh included within that nickel iron matrix so we can examine the stuff that was you know uh, meteorites are older than our sun itself. We've we found, as I was going to say, I don't, don't know if I mentioned, but Murchison is 7 billion years old. So that means that meteorite formed before the earth formed because we know the earth formed around 4.6 billion years old ago. 4.6 billion years ago.
0: Wow. Isn't it, doesn't that make you feel tiny?
1: <laughs> Absolutely. And Absolutely. isn't time
0: the weirdest thing? Because we think, yeah. you know, an hour is really long mm. and then you're talking billions of years and we're, and we're thinking, oh, well, you know, a work day is long or something along those well, lines. Well, you're it's right. All, you know, it's um, all relative, isn't it?
1: Yeah, Carl Sagan said something to to the effect of we're like butterflies that flutter for a moment and think it's forever.
0: You're listening to Saturday Breakfast with Julie Reynolds, nationwide on your local station via the Community Radio Network. We're back with Paul Starman-Curnow from the Adelaide Planetarium. We're talking rocks from space. We sort of got into dinosaurs and humans and where we all fit on that timeline. What kind of scientists investigate that sort of stuff?
1: The scientists that really talk and understand deep time are astronomers because we're talking billions of years right back to the the origins of the Big Bang over 13 billion years ago to the age of the Earth, 4.6 billion uh, years ago. And you know we've got very old rocks uh, in Australia as well. As far as uh, human lifetimes, we're just—it's just a blink. You know, it's such a tiny, a tiny period of time we're on the Earth compared to you know the age of the Earth, and even other creatures. You know, we've got turtles that live for a couple of hundred years, and and then we've got creatures that live—you know—certain insects that live for a day or two. So. And then you've got
0: your old dinosaurs, like your birds. I'd say an emu is kind of like a dinosaur, isn't
1: it? Well, its its ancestors were dinosaurs. And we know, again, you know, that's a result of an impact that came in from space. 66 million years ago, the Yucatan Peninsula in Mexico was hit by a small asteroid. The dinosaurs that were around then nearly completely wiped out, except for a, a group of avian dinosaurs, the ones, the ones with feathers that could move about they eventually evolved into birds. And if you want to see something that looks like a dinosaur, look at the feet of a cassowary. So the dinosaurs, you know, when we say they're extinct, it's not strictly true. They Some did evolve, but for the most part, they uh, became extinct, which was a good thing for us mammals to celebrate uh, (laughs) because we probably wouldn't have evolved to the point of you and I having this discussion if that asteroid hadn't hit the Earth. So because the dinosaurs would have gobbled (laughs) us up, yeah. Sometimes these impacts can be quite beneficial. If we had one tomorrow, that wouldn't be very That's beneficial actually. for us. Not um, so much. So, you're not so much. So one of the big things, you know, and this theory about do they seed life on other worlds called panspermia, you know, there, there are more and more advocates that saying, well, look, we find all the building blocks for life in comets, in meteorites. Uh, so there's a good chance. How life started exactly, we still don't know. Uh, but certainly we know, that early life appears on the earth about 3.8 billion years ago. And by three and a half billion years, uh, life was starting to to run, you know. But, you know, to get to us, uh, it still took nearly that time, three and a half billion years, because modern anatomical humans like you and I are only two to 300,000 years old. And if we go back to uh, some of our ancestors, like the uh, Australopithecines, seven million years. And again, that's just a very small period of time. Uh, where where uh, com- so complex life has only existed for, uh, since the early, the early Ediacaran period, uh, you know six six hundred million years, but it really got started five hundred and forty two million years ago with the Cambrian explosion. So if you compare that to the you know four point six billion years of uh, the Earth's age, uh, life hasn't been here that long really. Are we due for another explosion? Uh, <laughs> we're probably uh, well overdue. Due for, uh, Well, um, they say it's hard to estimate, but they say every 100 million years or so, we have a really big impact. Uh, The solar system and the Earth, we're moving through the galaxy. The galaxy's rotating. And I think there are periods of time where we'll come into areas where there are more asteroids, more rocks. So there are periods where there's going to be more danger. But we are at a point in our evolution where we can try and look for these objects. And if we see one that's on a collision course for the Earth, we might be able to do something about it but i think a very good example of people's reactions was in that recent movie don't look up you know where some people are like making a bit of a joke about it and these scientists are saying hey we're going to get hit this is an extinction event for humans so we do need to take it very very seriously uh, and certainly since the event in in russia in chelyabinsk in 2013 the australian government uh, yes a little bit but the us government and and uh, european governments are taking the threat very very seriously now.
0: Yeah, and uh they'll have some I don't know laser beams or something <laughs>
1: aimed at the. Well, sky, right? laser beams would be good. um You know, there is there are different theories about blowing it up with a nuclear warhead, which is worse because you might blow it into six big bits, and you've got six big bits to worry about. uh There's also discussion about you know exploding a nuclear weapon nearby to send off a shock wave that might move it, uh, flying a spacecraft next to it that might just pull it off. Some sort of
0: acid that will melt it, an acid bomb. Oh,
1: yeah. You'd have to take a lot of acid up into space, wouldn't you, to to melt (laughs) something that And
0: then it would uh, drop back down to Earth, or maybe it would burn up on the way in. I don't know. I think we just live our lives and just hope that we don't get hit by a rock. I
1: I, I think uh, (laughs) you're right. We do need to live our lives and enjoy our lives, while at the same time we need to take things like this uh, seriously.
0: Have they ever found an element in a rock that doesn't exist on Earth?
1: That's a good question. I'm not a geologist. I believe they may have found something on the moon, but don't quote me. The astronauts brought back, and I forget how many kilograms of rock from the Apollo missions, um, but there were a few ones that were a little different. And I think in one of the meteorites, they even found a piece of the earth that had been blasted off the earth and ended up in the soil and a rock on the moon. So yeah, there's all this interchanging material. So uh, that wouldn't surprise me.
0: Well, I'll get a geologist on and I'll, I'll let you know, Paul.
1: Chat to Professor Victor Gostin. he's He's the man with the answers.
0: And uh, there's that other friend of yours as well that we spoke to about caves.
1: Oh, Professor Ian Lewis, knowledgeable man. I've been crawling through caves with him. He's an amazing guy.
0: Absolutely not. Not unless I had to run for my life would I go in a cave. Well, no, when I think of right. cave, I think of those, you know, tiny little spaces as opposed to it being just an open cave.
1: If you go down to the Narrow Caves, there are some very open caves there where they wouldn't give you the feeling of claustrophobia. And so you walk through sections and then there's a complete open section to the sky and so.
0: How about those guys that go in those little tiny tunnely things? That's and what Ian that-
1: does. And they can barely get their body in. Underwater. He does it underwater. And, you know, that's been a very uh, dangerous pursuit. You know, there have been a number of people that have lost their lives down in the southeast uh, getting stuck in caves underwater while they're diving.
0: I know. So never in a thousand years. Very brave. Mm, And I suppose that's what curiosity is.
1: If we weren't curious, uh, we wouldn't be having this conversation. You know, the people that worked out how radio waves work, how computers work, Wi-Fi was invented by Australian astronomers uh, looking at other aspects of astronomy. Um, So we, and GPS, without all of those things, GPS, we wouldn't be, uh, we wouldn't have those things because of some of the calculations of uh, Einstein. So we use science every day. Uh, That's why it's important to have a basic understanding of science because people make decisions and vote on things relating to science and the environment. Rocks in space
0: with Paul Curnow from the, Adelaide Planetarium and if you want to know what Paul's up
1: to head to Facebook and what are those groups called Paul? I'm involved in a few groups the the Adelaide Supernovas uh, also involved in the Aboriginal Skies uh, Facebook page where we look at uh, how Indigenous Australians see the night sky and I've also got my own YouTube channel where I've got some of my lectures up if they put in Paul Starman Kuno I've got some very short two-minute astronomy videos and a few longer lectures on there that people can watch as well.
0: Beautiful and we'll catch up with you next
1: Thanks, Paul. Good stuff. Good stuff. Nice chatting again.
0: You're listening to Saturday Breakfast with Julie Reynolds.